Hello and welcome to Now Fear This, Becky and Marie podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and I am looking at my podcast Marie across the Zoom. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know when you ask somebody how are you doing and and they're like terrible and then they like list off all their stuff. Nobody wants that. Well, then, you want me to not ask you that anymore? You want to just dive no, in no, no, that's fine. fine. Oh, okay. But sometimes, but sometimes people are like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm great." And then I'm like, "Actually, no, I'm not great. I don't know why I just said that." So, find <laughs> <laughs> a <of> middle ground. <laughs> I'm alright. Right. I'm I. Good. Anyway. What are you fearing today? Well, I am fearing something strange that I never knew I would have to fear, and. First of all, when you buy a condo, yeah. there are so many things to fear about owning a condo. <laughs> the reason why I got a condo is we don't like to do yard work and we can't really have a big house because I just thought a condo would be convenient. Okay. But holy crap, like association stuff and like common usage stuff and common courtesy. Like, But now I have uncovered a new crazy thing that you may not know. A woman is coming in on a regular basis and stealing everyone's mail. What? Yes. This started about a month ago. <laughs> so apparently there's something called a king key. And at least in my area, there's only a few mail setups and there's only a few key setups. So hundreds, if not thousands of condos and apartments that are enclosed, all are opened with the same king key. And their mailboxes are opened with the same master key. And some organization has gotten a hold of the king key for our style of door and mailbox. And you've caught this person on camera. We've caught her on camera. One of the neighbors actually confronted her in front of the mailbox. Okay. And she said, I used to live here and I'm just getting my mail, which makes no sense because like she's opening the entire mailbox and uh he was like you need to drop the mail right where right there and she was like it's my mail and they argued right in front of the camera we have her license plate okay okay this happened she waited two days and hit us again it's on this is a federal crime this is a felony this is what are you doing totally agree she keeps coming so now no matter confronting her, we've got her on camera. She gives two shits. She came in a different car the next time, by the way. We sent out this message to all the tenants in the building. Make sure you have LifeLock. She's hitting us at these times. So get your mail. Don't let it sit in the mailbox, right? And other, so that apparently the, the post office has a service you can sign up for that you can see what's coming in the mail. Yeah, Curtis does so, We've asked everybody to sign up for that. So if you want to report mail fraud, you can't just go to the police and say, there's someone stealing from our mailboxes. You have to report fraud on a specific piece of mail. What? Exactly. So the police won't do anything about it. There's a number you have to call. It's a mail fraud number and you can't reach a human being. You go through a phone tree and they tell you to go to a website and talk about a specific piece of mail. And we went to the post office to talk to them. And the post office said, yeah, 
there's some group and they're hitting all the mailboxes in your neighborhood on a regular basis. And we're not sure what we're going to do about it. You know, basically we have to order new systems for everybody. We don't know how long that'll take because of COVID. And they have to report this up to like some branch of Homeland Security. And then it'll be like an ongoing investigation. So basically in the interim, nothing will be done. That was a shocking thing that I learned that actually police, paramedics, and the post office have these king keys. So somebody has infiltrated one of those groups and gotten the key. And now they're created kind of a criminal enterprise stealing people's mail. Like, she's not even afraid of the fact that we have her face on camera, her license plate. You know who she is then? What's her name? Go. I mean, the police and the post office, neither one of them wanted our video. Why? They said, oh, my manager might want to look at it, but there's nothing we can really do with it. That's what we were told. I mean, I know if I lived in a house, someone could still steal my mail from the post. But it kind of goes to what you were talking about on one of our episodes, you know, when you were talking about how to behave during COVID. We've had numerous conversations about since COVID, how law enforcement and just the, the whole system of how our cities run has just fallen into disrepair. And this is just another sign of that. Yeah, it's a federal crime to steal mail. And these people are like stalking and targeting your mailbox. But sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, next, they're going to steal your identities because they have all your information. Jesus Christ. I mean, I do have a lot of fear about identity theft, which is why I have LifeLock and other protection services in place. You know, so we'll see. I'm sorry. That's awful. But I'm really fighting the urge because me and some of the other neighbors were like, should we be taking shifts at the mailbox at the times that she hits it? And then like grab her and tie her up and call the police. But we're like, will we be the ones that go to jail? Know, do that? Like, and you don't know that she's not armed or, I mean, the woman gives you a fox and why would she, you know, wow. Ew. I know. I guess it wasn't funny. <laughs> Maybe we'll laugh about it later. Maybe. I'm like, I can't record next week. I'm in jail for accosting the male thief. <laughs> right? That's... Have you seen the guy that's constructed the male glitter bomb? This engineer constructed this box and it looks like a set of like high-end headphones. And inside of it is a device that's filled with the finest grained glitter that you can find on the planet. And when people steal this box off of his front porch, which they always do when he puts it out there, it when it goes to their house and they open it, when they pull the first layer off, it has like a fart bomb mechanism in it. <laughs> it starts shooting this terrible fart smell at them. It explodes glitter. <laughs> and then after that happens, there's a woman's voice that says, activating detonation sequence. And then there's a countdown and then police scanners come on and there's a video camera inside. So he was able to videotape the response of the male thieves. What? That's what y'all need. Put one of those inside your mailbox when she steals shit. That's what I was thinking. Like, can we put something in there that triggers a device that like shoots paint in her face or something? Yeah. yeah, I got to oh. go back to school to get an engineering degree to figure out how to 
That's, that's, so, that's so sorry. That's just sorriness. It's really, really lame. Like, that's just, the worst kind of criminal. Pond scum. Yes. Total yes. pond scum. It's, yes. I, I don't get it at all. I mean, do you like shopping physically in stores? Yeah, I like to like it, like it, but I don't mind it. I get to touch things. You know, you want to pick up a shirt and go, huh, is it soft or is it not? Or, you know. I grew up, my mom loved shopping. And so I kind of got the bug for it. So I like going to stores and picking things out. But my problem these days is that stores only carry the basics. So if I want to run to Best Buy to buy some sort of electronics, they're going to have like one style. It's going to be the most basic style. Yeah, and everything is so far behind with the COVID disruptions and production and everything. Right. So there's just so, yeah, it's difficult. But even clothes, like James and I, we're trying to get him some suits at Nordstrom. And Nordstrom was saying that there's a big push to get rid of suits. And there's a big push to get rid of dresses, too, because people aren't buying dresses anymore. It's all athleisure. <laughs> right. Inactive wear. Inactive wear, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, what are you fearing today, Becky? I am fearing murderous housewives of Dallas. And this is a continuation of fearing the murderous housewives of Dallas from last week. And I can do a little bit of a recap for you. If you didn't listen to the episode, I named it Candy and Betty, the axe-wielding, thong-wearing Real Housewives of 1980s Dallas. That's the (laughs) name of the episode. And then if you go back and listen to that, then come back. We'll wait. All right. Welcome back. So I'm going to sum things up. My sources are Texas Monthly, of course, which I guess is where we get all our stories now. We are, we're now officially sponsoring <laughs> Texas Monthly. Like we're sponsoring them. We're giving them free shout outs and shit. Right, right. Uh, Pop Sugar, Local Profile, Soapboxy, and Texas Monthly. So Friday, June 13th, 1980, a Texas woman named Candy goes to her friend Betty's house in Wiley, Texas to have a little chat and only one of them makes it out alive. So when Betty was found by some neighbors that night when her husband was out of town, she had been attacked with an axe and estimated 41 times, 28 of those to her head. And it did not take long before the police talked to Candy. Candy had been having an affair with Betty's husband, Alan, who by all accounts was a dull and boring person who nobody looked twice at. And then apparently, according to Candy, was bad in bed. So she ended up getting dumped by the guy who was bad in bed. And she went to Betty's house. Betty ended up getting slaughtered by the three-foot X. So the police figured it out. And they bring Betty in. They arrest her. She makes bail. Her attorney named Don Crowder was a character, as we say in the South. I don't know if they say it other places, but he was a character. Uh And he... I'm going to tell you some of the things that happened in court. I'm going to tell you how it ended, and I'm going to tell you how we got there. So I'm going to do it a little bit out of order. Um, but according to Candy, he acted in self-defense. That was her claim. Right. She acted in self-defense. Now, where did they come up with this claim? I'll tell you. Crowder, this attorney, the character, the piece of work, he decided 100% that Candy was innocent and that she had to have had some psychotic break in order to have done this. He was going to figure out what that was. So he hired a Houston psychiatrist named Dr. Faison, F-A-S-O-N, Faison, maybe? I don't know. Faison. Faison. And here's a description of Faison, and I want us to just kind of dive into this a little bit, because Texas Monthly is so vivid. 
He's a good-natured, fatherly charmer with a huge nose, bushy eyebrows, and a sweet, intelligent mouth. Mm. I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to think about like deliverance here. <laughs> sweet intelligent, but they say you got a, oh, sweet, oh. a sweet, intelligent mouth. <laughs> Isn't that hey. a gross description. Yeah, you got, got a sweet, intelligent mouth, Becky. <laughs> oh. But it's also the same article that described Candy as having um, coquettish exuberance. You know, coquettish like exuberance. we're all about the the adjectives and the adverbs. So, Actually, that's going to be the title of my memoir: coquettish exuberance. Yes. Or start a female fight club. Marie, a life of coquettish exuberance. <laughs> it's going to be set in the 18th century. Oh, okay. I don't know why. No. Just uh, you're gonna you change your own timeline. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so here's the weird thing that this guy, Doctor Faison, did. Not weird. He hypnotized her, and the weird stuff that was uncovered in hypnosis. So this is verbatim from the article. So I'm going to read it. That describes what Candy said happened when she was under oath. Candy had gone over to pick up a swimsuit for. Betty's oldest child, Elisa, so that she could take all of the kids swimming. Betty and Candy made small talk. And then all of a sudden, Candy says, all this is according to Candy, right? Only one of them made it out alive. All of a sudden, Betty's gaze turned, quote, unfocused. And she asked Candy if she was sleeping with Alan. After all the weeks prior to their affair that Candy and Alan spent considering their worst possible scenarios. Oh, my gosh, y'all. If you didn't listen to the previous episode. These two decided to start sleeping together, and I think it took them like 18 months before they decided to finally start fucking, because they wrote pros and con charts. They talked about scenarios. I mean, these people talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. I, we should have had them plan our exit from Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been a better. <laughs> yeah, these two are planners. If they're nothing else, they're planners. <laughs> <laughs> you bet Candy's in jail or dead. I don't know. Maybe I mean, we'll find out, but or maybe everyone just gets killed with an axe yeah. in that scenario too. And that's not good either. But continue. The worst possible scenario was happening. Candy admitted to the affair, but assured Betty it was over. Betty excused herself from the table, and when Betty returned, she had a three-foot axe gripped in her hands. She put the axe down and told Candy she never wanted to see her again. But this is my favorite part of this paragraph. But agreed to let her take Elisa to the pool and bring her back home the next day. <laughs> what? What? This is the last time that I want to see your face after you take my daughter to the pool. <laughs> and my daughter spends the night with you. What? Are you talking? Who believes this story? Terrible story. Okay. Yeah. All right. This part is so Also, weird. why do you need... Why do you need an axe to say I don't want to see you ever again? <laughs> I have had to. I have had to be. You don't bring an axe to every breakup that you have with no, your friends. No. I've had to break up with friends before, and I've never brought an axe. I've never brought a weapon. I've never said if you come around here again, I'm going to cut you. I've never said that. <laughs> have you ever said I never want to see your face again until tomorrow morning? <laughs> Well, listen, this is just going to be a pro tip. If you're oh, breaking good. up with a friend, but you still need them to do something for you, 
<laughs> go ahead and have them execute that task before you break up with them because you know like for instance if they have i'm not saying this happened to me but like if they have your entire box set of the sopranos get it back before you break up with them right because otherwise you break up with them the sopranos are gone goes forever. with them exactly. <laughs> so as Candy was leaving, Betty gave her a handful of peppermints to give to Elisa because Elisa was still learning to swim and didn't like to duck her head underwater, but she was always rewarded with some peppermints after she did it. Candy, swamped with guilt, turned and apologized. Then Candy said, Betty's pain transformed into rage. She pushed Candy into the utility room and followed with the axe once again in her hands, yelling that Candy could not have Ellen. They struggled for control of the axe. Candy testified that Betty was between her and the door. Candy emerged with the axe and struck Betty over the head. All right. According to the book, Evidence of Love, quote, terrified by the blood and the certainty she had just killed her, Candy bolted for the living room door. She tried to reach it. She finally put her hand on the knob, on the knob, on the nub. Oh. She finally put her hand on the knob, started to pull it open, and Betty slammed her body against the door. All right, this goes on, and I'm going to just she try to put her hand on the knob in the first place, and none of this would have happened, but continue. On the nub, either. I mean, the nub or the knob. Bad idea. Again, they fought with Candy wielding the axe, but she testified she only wanted to escape. Marie, she only wanted to escape. Uh, well, remind the audience of how many times she struck <laughs> Betty in <laughs> <Yeah>. self-defense. <laughs> yeah. I only want to escape. One. I only want to escape. Two. I only want to escape. 41 fucking times. 41, yeah. Yeah. So Betty, although she was weakened with blood loss, seemed determined to kill her. All right. This is according to Evidence of Love. Betty placed one finger to her lips and gripped the axe with the other hand, breathed somewhere deep in her throat. This is the part that comes from under hypnosis, and that's in air quotes, okay? The susurration echoed through Candy's subconscious like a psychic alarm. It was then that Candy attacked in a rage, dealing out 41 hits. Later, medical examiners concluded, wait for it, this is so awful, that Betty was alive, if not conscious, for 40 of them. That woman did not die until blow number 41. You know, one of the things about a person that's not strong enough to wield a three-foot axe is it's going to be even more gruesome than if a big man was doing it because it's going to be sloppy, right? Yeah, She's yeah. going to be dealing sloppy blows where her body is like totally flung into it and stuff, which may explain some of the real gruesomeness of the scene. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. Those are not precise hits. No. Which is probably why Betty was alive. 40 of them. Right. So here's where the hypnosis really comes into play. Are you ready? I love hypnosis. Go ahead. Under hypnotism, Dr. Faison brought Candy back to her first memory of being angry. Tell me, Candy. This is what I think he sounds like, even though he's from Houston. When do you recall your earliest memory? Mm-hmm. Of being angry. Right. And her first memory of being angry was an incident of repressed trauma from when she was four when her mother punished her for a tantrum and her mother shushed her. Under hypnosis, Candy said she had been scared. She had wanted to scream. Mm. So when Betty said, Shh. well, she had taken her 41 times with the axe, right? 
She got triggered. She was triggered. That's exactly the word Dr. Fazan uses. He said this moment had been her trigger. When she struck Betty Gore over 40 times with an axe, Candy herself hadn't been present at all. Mm. It was like space aliens just took over Marie. Are you buying any of this? I'm not buying it, no. But okay, I am no, buying that there's something wrong with Candy. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely yeah. something wrong with her. But go ahead. I also want to point out that if you're triggered to homicidal rage whenever anyone shushes you, you'd probably have murdered a lot of people by the time you're 29. You know, it's funny. I remember once I was on a date with this guy and he was just the sweetest guy. We'd never had crosswords or anything. We're driving in the car together and he said something and I just like sort of casually said, shut up. And he all of a sudden got like psychotically serious and he was like, don't ever tell me to shut up. No one tells me to shut up. Were you like reaching for the doorknob? (laughs) I was like, I was like, whoa, what just happened here, dude? And he was like, I just don't like it when people tell me to shut up. I was like, all right. I didn't mean it like that, but whatever. And then I was like, okay, how long do you wait after an exchange like that to break up? <laughs> you know? you like, wait till you're out of his car. What's the, what's the appropriate <laughs> amount of time to... I'm not legitimizing Candy's case at all. I mean, like, if he had murdered me over that, I would still have a problem with it. But I do think there are some things that trigger people. I think her story is total bullshit, though. Continue. I do, too. I do, too. So during the trial, this is part of why I say that her attorney was a character. I'm telling you, one thing we get right, and by right I mean wrong in Texas, is flamboyant defense attorneys. I mean, like if you ever watch Jinx, that defense attorney that got that murderer off in Galveston, even though he admitted he chopped up his neighbor and threw him in the ocean, that guy is a good example of this kind of mm-hmm. flamboyant defense attorney guys. And Crowder during the trial in a moment of just absolute theatrics he actually picked up the murder weapon in his hands while candy was on the stand and she started begging him don't make me look at it don't make me look at it now he's thrusting it towards her and during this entire time that she's been under direct examination she has been really soft-spoken but man right then she just wailed Mm. if i were on the jury i'd have a hard time not rolling my eyes and looking at the person next to me and going you want to go get lunch Totally. I'm clicking my pen and closing my notebook. I'm done here. I'm done here. I wonder if we could make a new law, something like excessive use of self-defense. You know, I just think about like all these people. Like, who was the guy that that killed Trayvon Martin in self-defense? George something. Yeah, I think that sometimes when people are claiming self-defense, it's like. You don't need to hit somebody with an axe more than a few times for them to be like, okay, I don't want any more of this. With few exceptions. I mean, I guess if somebody's on drugs. I'm sorry. Was Trayvon Martin the Terminator? Was he going to keep coming at you? Was was Betty Gore the fucking Terminator and she's going to keep coming at you? Right. But I'm just saying like 90% of the time, like, okay, let's say I'm walking across the bedroom. We have one of those like really low almost a Japanese style beds, you know, and it's on a platform. And many a night I have stubbed my toe hard. I don't, I'm stunned by that, right? To the point of falling onto the floor and immobile. So I would imagine if I was stabbed, 
or hit with an axe or shot. I'm stunned by a hangnail. So I'm assuming that most people are this way. A little bit of pain or resistance, and I think this is one thing in self-defense, right? When you resist by harming your attacker, it does stop them for a second. It stuns them for a second. And then you run away, right? So to me, if you're cornered and you have to deal a blow, then run away. Exactly. The violence that you under attack uh, commit is justified only insofar as you get to get away. It, it, the point of it is not to harm them, but to render them immobile in some way. Someone threatens you, that doesn't mean you should kill them. That's so extreme. And I there's so that. many. I hate that. It's all it, because of the NRA and the NRA oh. made all these laws about stand your ground. And, right. I'm telling you, there's somebody that I know. I'm going to say his name. And if he ever listens to this show, I don't care if he knows, I think he's a creep. He came out one night with some not with me i wasn't there but people were talking about it okay because a group of my friends were there and he shows up to this group of friends and he looks all kind of like he was late or there's something weird about him and one of them's like what's wrong with you he goes oh i just uh i just shot and killed this guy what who had broken into his car and he shot and killed him and the police were like nothing to see here have a nice day we'll we're gonna take care of this body for you yes yes because in Texas and Florida, states like that, fuck, if you're a white man and somebody wants your property, you get to kill them dead. Yeah. Anyway, all right. I'm going to get back on to the expressway. Remember uh, Steve? We called him our good friend Steve. He was the crime scene investigator who took all the photos and talked about all the floor mats and all that, right? So during the trial, when he was on the stand, he said Candy probably started hitting Betty at the garage door, and then fell into the utility room. He said self-defense ends right then. Why would she keep hitting her? All right. So it took the jury less than four hours to find Kenny Montgomery not guilty. Wow. Because she's a pretty white lady? She's not pretty. Fuck her. Well, I mean, why would they find her not guilty? Like, she for self-defense? Yep. I just don't understand how 40 blows... And and I'm gonna say something sexist here. Woman, yeah. woman to woman, 40 blows woman to woman. I I'm if if she delivered 40 blows to a six foot 250 pound guy that entered her home, I might go fine, self-defense. But a woman her size, by all description, not a powerful woman not a intimidating woman, right? Nope. And for me, you know what goes above all is that it was in Betty's home. I don't think you get to go to someone's home and murder them and claim self-defense in this context. There's too much other stuff involved. She had an affair with the husband. It's like, you don't get to go to that, to the husband's home, kill the wife and claim self-defense. You just don't. I'm sorry. You just don't. Do we know where the axe really came from? Did that? No, ever... we don't know anything. What Steve Deffenbaugh believes is that, that Candy got the axe from the garage. Got it. She claimed in her, you know, her hypnotic, whatever, three, two, one, you're asleep state that 
Betty inexplicably brought it into the kitchen, set it down, and then said, I don't want to see you again or something. This really seemed like something Betty would do. Like, again. No. Come on. No. I think the entire fucking thing is all made up. The entire fucking thing is all made up. So tell me where Candy is now. Does she live well, in your We're not done yet. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Is she on the third <laughs> floor of your condo complex? <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right so here's one of the things that our good friend steve the investigator said which i believe is is true because texas is fucking weird man it is a whole other country and that is not a compliment three of the people on the 12 person jury were personal friends of candy or her attorney how can that happen <laughs> now this That's is a small fair. town outside dallas the one that I like the most is that the foreman of the jury was her attorney, Don Crowder's daughter's soccer coach. Oh my gosh. Okay, continue. I'm telling you, it's a whole other universe over there. So one of the things that they, they attribute the acquittal to is the DA at the time was named Tom O'Connell and the district judge was Tom Ryan. Reports show that even before the trial began, uh, Crowder, remember her attorney, the guy with the personality, violated Judge Ryan's gag order and was ordered 24 hours of jail time. And by the time the trial was over, he had racked up even more. So this was something that he was just talking to the press. You know, he was poisoning the jury pool the whole time. Like he fucked it the whole fucking time. He fucked with it. So, and then the other thing is, the jury was not allowed to see photographs. Isn't that nuts? Photographs of the crime scene. How could you judge whether or not somebody is guilty without seeing photographs of what they did? It's crazy. So the defense attorney argued that more than one photograph of Betty's body would inflame the jury and the judge agreed and only allowed one photo. So what was that a photo of? Her foot? You don't even know. Pretty All right. Good. So this has been, let's see, in 1980, is that 40 years, right? 40 years. So depressing. You want to hear a depressing statistic about where we are now in the year 2021? Sure, I love depressing statistics. <laughs> you know that about me. Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can get the statistic right. We're as close to 1980 as 1939 was to 1980. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know that that's depressing. Pre-World War II. It's depressing. Maybe. It makes me feel old as fuck. I don't know. I'm trying to just not even think about the old thing. Fine. <laughs> you just sit there in your California air and your Los Angeles <laughs> attitude. Just don't even think about it. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know this so, is affecting you. Yes, it's really, really affecting me. So where are we now? Well, the last, and I actually saw an article. This is from the Soapbox, the article from October of 2020, so it's pretty recent. So Candy, after the murder, went back to her name, her maiden name, remember? Her maiden name. I don't remember. Oh, yes, maiden. We talked about the maiden uh, name. Yes, the, the virgin name. Uh -huh. The virgin name. I'm going to start calling it that to make people uncomfortable. I'm mm -hmm. actually going to start doing it. What is your virgin name? What's your virgin name? Like, is it like your porn name? You know, like your pet and your street you grew up on? Yeah, um, <laughs> it is. The maiden name of Candace Wheeler, and she 
He's working as a therapist somewhere in Georgia. Perfect. I would. How do you feel about that? I want to take a girls' trip to Georgia and have some group therapy with Candace Wheeler. <laughs> yeah. so before or after our trip to Chernobyl? <laughs> uh, well, to prepare for our trip to Chernobyl. <laughs> On the way, yeah. just stop in. Yeah. I, I've been meaning, I feel like we need some couples therapy, and I think Candace Wheeler is the person to do it. I really do. I can't wait to hear about it. So here's another. Um, no, I meant me and you need couples therapy. Oh, we need couples therapy? No, I'm just kidding. Well, for uh, Chernobyl, come on. Yeah, maybe after we get back from Chernobyl and we're like neon from the, um, <laughs> what's the word? Nuclear. Damn, what's the word? Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're giving oh. cancer to everyone that comes in contact with us. Oh so, my gosh. I'm okay, so, so here's just the, the most recent little follow-up, which I thought was interesting. And if you've heard of this, then just pretend like you haven't. You didn't see pictures of candy. Did I show you pictures of candy? Uh, I don't think so. Would you like to see a picture of candy? I'd love to. Okay, so. Sorry. Right, by the way, I know offense yeah. to people named Candy, but I really hate that name. I wish parents wouldn't would retire that name. I hate that name. Really? Yeah, I don't. It's well, it's short for Candace, and I like Candace. Do you ever have a problem with Candace? No, I like Candace. Ready? I don't really like shortening of names, to be honest. There she is. Oh, wow. That She's got coquettish glasses. <laughs> <laughs> she's got these giant, like, round plastic frame glasses that everybody had back then. This is like the um, battle the battle of the boring there people. There she is going into court. Battle of the boring people. Look at that. I, these. There's... <laughs> On the left is Candy, on the right is Betty. Wow, yeah, this is <laughs> not what you pictured, is it? Wow, yeah, this is crazy. This... this is like, they were talking about coquettish exuberance and Hollywood smiles, and I'm like, who are they talking about? Who right. are they talking about? So, um... Right, if you like gathered together the most boring, like nerdy people from high school, and and they had this like underground drama going, that's... And the most boring one ended up murdering the second most boring one with an axe. Yeah, that's about what this will be. <laughs> All right. So here's my question for you. Yes. If you're going to make a movie of this, mm -hmm. I have two Elizabeths for you to choose from. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Well, I choose her for everything. But um, actually, both answers are right. It's a battle of the Elizas because they're going to play candy. One of them's playing candy in a TV show and one of them's playing candy in a movie. There's a series about it, which I assume is going to include eight episodes of plotting and planning, making charts of pros and cons as to whether or not you're going to sleep with your friend's husband. Who's going to play the boring guy? Like Paul Giamatti? <laughs> I don't know. He's too good looking and he's got too much exuberance maybe, himself. It's got to be like the Andrew. most boring. Andrew Garfield, I don't know. Uh, Isn't that funny? Um, so I, I don't know. I think they're both too old, though, right? I mean, they're not 29. I mean, I love them both, but truly they're not. 
It, hold on a second, though. Those two pictures you showed me don't look like 29-year-old women. I know. Nobody, everybody used to look so old. Yeah. I mean, everybody. They didn't have skincare, I guess, but also just like style. Everybody just looked so much older than their age back then. Well, you know? I'm going to I'm gonna point out something else, too, because like a lot of people say I don't look my age. I don't think you look your age. Thanks. And I do know it's interesting. Some of my peers that I grew up with very much look their age. I do think that certain lifestyle choices about being in the sun um, and then smoking, drinking, drugs. There is a genetic factor, no doubt. Some people, there is. Like, I, I feel like John Hamm probably looked like a 40-year-old guy when he was 16. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And also, I don't necessarily think that looking older is a bad thing either. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's men and women that look way better as a 40 or a 50 year old than they did as an 18 year old. So I don't necessarily judge age as a benchmarker for beauty, but it's just about when you try to identify someone's age, you know? Well, and yeah, I, yeah. I do think that the markers of that sometimes can be like lines or, or wrinkles in your face or things like that. And a lot of that is self-inflicted by sun exposure without sunscreen and smoking and drugs and alcohol. I'll tell you this, and this is another brag. I've bragged about that I'm a marital expert. I've bragged about now that I am a, um, I know about life insurance. <laughs> I know, that's like your biggest <laughs> brag. I, was I know, like, you're like, don't be jealous. Um, but I do think that we way underestimate the importance of taking care of your skin from the outside. I do. I just think that people who waited until they're in their thirties and forties for them, you know, to start taking care of their skin for the most part, they, they probably aged a lot more in their twenties, you know, than, than people who don't take care of their skin. My mom was like so big on skincare regime. And I, I think this is for guys too. Um, like since J- James and I got married, he does mud masks. He does like all the skincare stuff. He has his own line of men's care products that he buys. And I think that guys don't think they'll care about it until they see it. When they start getting like the crow's feet and the mm-hmm. laugh lines and stuff, they start to care about it more than you would think. And, mm-hmm. and it is, it is starting to be a little too late when you're 40 to start doing those, the face care regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my mom never was into that stuff, but she did buy me like teen magazine and 17 magazine and stuff. And I didn't read about stuff about boys or whatever. I wasn't, I was interested in all the beauty and all the sparkly stuff. And that whole thing was you got to take care of your skin, wash your face every night, every night. Every, and I started when I was like 11 years old mm-hmm. and I've been dedicated to it since I was 11 years old. So anyway, thanks for saying that. Cause I, I don't have a good diet. I eat nothing but junk food. <laughs> I, I don't smoke, but I do drink, you know, but I, well, I and I'm, what I'm saying is excessive. What I'm saying is excessive. If you're one of those people that goes home every night and drinks a six pack, it's going to affect yeah. your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you're casually drinking a little too much, I think it's, I mean, we're all, we all have little things like there's stuff you just can't do anything about. Like I've noticed as I get older, like my neck or different things, doesn't matter how much I moisturize, you know, Uh uh but 
but just worried about your neck which i can't see anything wrong with your neck truly worried about your neck it cosmetics makes a good neck cream and it's a big tub and it lasts forever got it well send it to me because i've been trying to find a good product for like crepey neck (laughs) Uh and most of them will charge like hundreds of dollars so but this one's not and it and it does it works um i'll send it to you okay well this story uh this this candy story was absolutely fascinating and uh it's truly shocking that that she's a person out in the world it really is i know and it it's crazy i mean and the story i didn't go into the details of the actual like when i was four my mom got mad at me and i wanted to i mean she goes they, they have they actually transcribed the hypnosis session and that's in quotes and uh i didn't include that i just think it's all bullshit i think it is all bullshit and that when she pushed her well you know how many things we can tear apart of her story Mm-hmm. that betty went to get their axe for no reason and laid it down that she picked that time to say did you sleep with my husband i never want to see you again but come back tomorrow morning with my kid <laughs> like it's like that you struck her and she got up uh and ran after you to attack you again like first of all i mean second of all or tenth of all if you're betty and you've been struck by an axe with this crazy woman pretty sure you're gonna run you're not going to go after her like you're a fucking Terminator. You're going to hide. You're going to run. You're going to scream. And the other thing is, you're also going to want to protect your child because her little baby is right there next to them. Betty's baby was there mm-hmm. um, all, all day into the night until the neighbors went into the house and found the baby. She was filthy. She was starving. She was screaming. You know, this is a good thing that you can't be tried more than once. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, yes. It, yes. I believe in that that philosophy but if the entire trial itself is completely corrupt i guess the only resource that the family has is civil a civil right. suit right oh yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that we were talking about in in other episodes the whole idea that sometimes when things go wrong that means criminals go free and and that's one of the consequences of having the other freedoms that we have and the other protections that we have. And it sucks, yep. but it every sucks. now and then that happens. And I don't really know what the solution is. In a way, it's like the O.J. Simpson thing where the community just needs to shun the person and make life difficult for them. This guy's on Twitter spewing his opinions. Ugh. Ugh. So, all right. So that's it on Candy. And we're going to wrap this up in a bit. But I got a message that I wanted to read. And this person, I guess, was behind on episodes because this only came in like a couple weeks ago. He was listening to the episode on a promising young woman that we did, uh-huh. what, in March, probably? Uh-huh. And I, I titled it, I'm Not Insulting Lifetime Movies. And it was on the episode we talked about a promising young woman. And if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Marie opens the episode by reading a quote-unquote review of the movie by an asshole, whatever his fucking name is, from the National Review magazine, who called rape on college campuses an urban myth and said that the biggest problem is really, the bigger problem is men being accused falsely and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh. Was so good. this person was listening to that episode and writes this. After 44 years of life, I have never known a dude who was falsely accused of rape. Who are these people? I'm going to orally interpret this. Who are these people? I know a very broad spectrum of people, and not a single one ever. 
Likewise, all of all of the women I've ever met, and I've been, I have known some total pieces of garbage. Oh no. <laughs> Not a single one I know has ever falsely accused a dude of rape. How is this narrative in our culture? Let's start there. What do you think about that? Um, we've talked about this quite a bit, and it's a, an obfuscation on the part of people who rape. But this idea that she was into it, she wanted it. Like even people that are clearly committing, it's not like the acquaintance type stuff, but it's like a grab somebody out of their bedroom in the middle of the night, still claim consensual sex. So perpetrators often try to get out of rape um, accusations by claiming consensual sex, even in the most ridiculous of circumstances. So, well, let's go talk about that review from National Review. Because he said that it was a gang rape and that it wasn't really rape that happened in the movie, you know, the thing that, that spurred the whole movie on. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't a gang rape, number one, and number two was because she was completely unconscious. Completely mm-hmm. unconscious. And dude stood around videoing her and watching her Mm-hmm. while somebody climbed on top of her and stuck his dick in her yeah that's rape she's completely unconscious right 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 i mean like, hasn't no. this, but hasn't this been the the idea of consent historically has been a conflict not only in this country but it is currently today like right now when we're talking about what's going on in afghanistan instead of people saying women and little girls are going to be enslaved and raped people are saying they're going to be forced into marriages mm-hmm. so it's this is all about how we as different cultures define what rape is and we always find ways to call it something else to not call it what it is and so this is where this narrative comes from is if you broaden the scope of what consensual sex is to be something so large that when a woman says she's raped, she's accusing you falsely. Mm -hmm. And to the point, there are so many consequences for people who accuse someone falsely. That is like a nuclear weapon on someone's life. I don't believe that people just do that cavalierly. Yes. There's just like, there's, psycho rapists out there there's psycho people out there that lie about other people about all sorts of things not just rape but in terms of it being a common thing i mean i heard a senator say the senator was like is against all abortion who made a comment that right that how funny it is that when women want an abortion suddenly they've been raped or that was the gist of the quote So there is a very strong perception amongst certain groups that rape is not very common and that that women just use it as a convenience excuse when they get caught being promiscuous. Well, think about, no, I agree with you. And I will add to that. There was some other asshole senator years ago who referred to, you know, women who've been raped on college campuses. uh, Instead of the word, what's the opposite of a stigma? He's like, there's a certain celebrity that comes to it comes with that you know that women once they say that that they're heroes and that people exalt them and i'm like have you ever known anybody who's uh 
actually been raped or accused somebody of rape, things don't happen in their life that are good after that. It's not a thing that where they go, all of a sudden my life got better after I accused somebody of rape. Man, I made all this money. I was like, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. And I'm in fact, a lot of women don't report rape because they're embarrassed by it. So oh, yeah. I think this or they is know how they're going to be treated by the police. Not only that, but I think this is something that maybe maybe guys don't think about this. Maybe people don't think about this. But even though as a person who's been raped, you've done nothing wrong, as a human being, if someone forcibly does that to you, it's instinctual to be embarrassed by it. it. You have been overpowered by another person that has done something to you that you don't want them to do to you. And to say that to other people is embarrassing. I know that sounds crazy, but I think that's why a lot of people keep it to themselves. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, there's a, maybe the word shame, that there's a shame to it. A shame, exactly. Not And then, of course, that's, that's there's no reason to have shame. But no. yeah, you are talking about, and you are reporting to perfect strangers, really intimate things about your life. And your own body is the crime scene. Right. And that's terrifying. That's a horrifying thing to imagine. And I do know, you know, that whole thing about not all men. Well, nobody said all men, but I will say yes, all women. And there is the whole reason why there's a yes, all women hashtag is every single woman either has or knows a woman very close to her who has been either raped, assaulted, touched, whatever. I'm one of them. I'm not hashtag me tooing because I was not raped, but I was groped by a stranger at school. And I did not report it and I did not say anything. And I was very, very ashamed. Not that I didn't report it. Now I'm kind of like, I wish I had, but I was 12. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed that it had happened. Exactly. Was, guys were two guys. They were in eighth grade and they laughed at me. Right. Um, and, and I, and I, I can't say enough about what an ordeal it is emotionally, psychologically to report rape so to say it's like those people who say like democrats love masks and they just want a pandemic life like everybody fucking hates it nobody actually likes it nobody 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 but we all do it anyway right nobody goes out and says i want to accuse people of rape because it's so much fun well i I mean again maybe there's a psychologist i'm maybe i'll have to look something up that that can explain this but you know when when you're a kid most parents, I think, in the modern age are always saying, if somebody touches you or if something happens, you tell me immediately. There's all that messaging out there, right? But yeah. still, kids will get molested and they won't say anything. No. They won't tell their parents. And I just believe in my heart that there is something about this thing that happens to people that they don't want other people to know because shame or they feel responsible. There's so much emotion tied into it. And so these are kids are not polluted by, by the world. Like adults are, they've gotten the messaging that if somebody does this to you, you should say it to your parents, but then they don't. So, and even, you know, young women are, we're trying to empower young women in college and high school and stuff to say something. And still they don't. So there is a powerful urge not to say anything. And then when people do, we accuse them 
of being sluts and liars and everything else. There's still that tradition, you know, like you were saying about you could be asleep in your bed and the defense attorney will hold up your underpants from what you wore that night that the guy broke in and rape you. There was a another murder show recently. This this woman had gone forward after her ex-boyfriend, which to me is like not really an ex-boyfriend, more an ex-child molester because she was 15 and he was 21. And when she broke up with him, he convinced her one night to go out on one last date. Well, he he drove her out to the forest and kept her there for eight hours, repeatedly raping her. Well, she reported it, went to the hospital, did all the right things. And they were like, uh, this was in Texas, um, maybe 20, 30 years ago. And so not in like the ancient days, you know. And this was before they had rape shield laws where they were, um, which if y'all don't know what that is, you'll need to look that up. But where the defense attorneys back then were allowed to bring up her sexual history as part of a defense. So because she'd had sex before um, or had done something sexual before, the DA was like, there's, there's nothing to see here. No, the fact that he kidnapped her and raped her for eight hours was like, nothing, nothing to see here. Because what she did mattered more than what he did to her. Right. Who she was or who they perceived she was. It's like that whole thing, you know, what was she wearing? Which is one of the reasons why, and I could wrap this up here in a minute. My husband, and, and, and I want, if I'm telling you all this and y'all don't know my husband, just trust me that what he's saying is so pointed and so true. When we watch a show where there's a description of a little girl who was kidnapped off the street and raped and or murdered, he will sometimes go, oh yeah, what was she wearing? And that's to prove the point that what you wear and how sexual you are is not connected to whether or not someone can grab you and put their dick in you when you don't want them to. Those two all things right. are not connected any more than it's connected to oh look that eight-year-old so sexy looking right no. or or a sex or a sex worker that is yep raped and murdered or raped you know like just because she takes money for sex doesn't mean she wants to be raped doesn't mean she consents to everybody who wants to stick it in right she gets to consent she gets to consent to it yeah we all get to consent to it and you know what if you're passed out you don't get to consent like yeah. I said that day, I'm going to repeat what I said that day because I listened to that episode again um, just like, like a month ago. She's passed out drunk. At what point is he legally required to leave her alone? And I want yeah. those people who say, oh, well, it's a false accusation. She shouldn't have had that. I'm saying passed out drunk. At what point is he legally required to leave her alone? Answer me that, asshole who wrote for the National Review. Answer me that question. I think I think it'd be real easy for us to all get on the same page and say sex with a passed out drunk person is rape. I, I meant to say passed out drunk person, but yeah, let's say passed out drunk. But I but I also think that you gotta use some good judgment with how drunk someone is, you know. It's the person the one guy that that uh, uh Jackson Katz he goes around speaking and, and I quoted him before, I'll quote him again. He said, guys, he said don't keep going till you get the no. Wait for the yes. Like, perfect. That's the best advice. Because one of the things that, that this, this message said, here it is. What really sucks is every time a guy has sex with a girl that could be terrified of something going badly and then being accused of rape later. And this whole made up story about false accusations sucks all around. You would think dudes would want to stop this insane lie as well. Like, the lie being that there's false accusations running rampant. That's the lie. 
That's the lie. For dudes to propagate that is like, why do you need to propagate that? Don't you want to end rape too? Don't you want to end rape, not just rape accusations? And I would challenge every guy that propagates it. Give me an example of someone you know that was falsely accused of rape. by. I'll tell you, I said that on that episode because they you know that Rolling Stone article about Virginia. And then there's a kid who was accused in high school and it derailed his football career. And he was eventually exonerated and she recanted and everything. But he did go to prison and he was never able to go to college. There's those two cases. And I know there's probably more, but they're so fucking rare. So rare. I'm not talking about those cases. We all know those cases, right? I'm talking about, tell me one of your friends. But what I'm saying is they don't know anybody who has had that happen. And they're only going to point to those famous cases. But this is what this this says right here. I don't know anybody personally who's done it or had it happen to them. Right. I've known a lot of fucked up people. I've known people of all ages and, and, and walks of life. Right. Because it's not that common. Because it's it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. All right. Are we ready to wrap this up? Yeah. All right. So this has been uh, Now Fear This. Thank you for listening. Send us an email, like uh, our good friend over here, to fearless at nowfear.com and tell us what you fear or if you have hot sports opinions about anything we've done on the show. Go to our website, fearthispodcast.com for life-changing content. Yep, it will change your life. And we'll be back next yep. week with another next week. episode. Next week for season two, episode, I don't know, six or seven. So we're rocking and rolling. All right. All right. There's my baby girl. Come here, Harps. Say hi to Marie. I did. Hi, Harper. <laughs> Aww. Baby girl. Um, okay.